Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf nun tet, page 59. Yerdena, we've got another disturbing daf. Um, we have here actually a Mishnah, which in some ways makes it easier to talk about because it's, you know, very clear that the Gemara is providing a commentary interpretation, more words, so to speak, in any case, on the topic of the Mishnah, even when they don't quite line up. Kohen Gadol lo almana. The Kohen Gadol is not allowed, is not permitted to marry a widow. Ben almana min ha'irusin, ben almana min Whether she's a widow from betrothal, meaning a woman who has has had kiddushin, or and then, and then the man to whom she is betrothed dies, or you know, a fully fledged widow, somebody who has been married, and then her husband dies. Veloisa et bogeret, and he may not marry a bogeret. Is translated is understood to mean a grown woman. Now, this is a little bit complicated because you would think, well, I mean, who else is he going to marry, right, besides a grown woman? And we're going to see that there's a great stock placed on virginity for the person who's married, who marries the Kohen Gadol. Um, of course, this also presumes, right, that he that he's getting married again while being the Kohen Gadol, or it's irrelevant, right? The Kohen Gadol is not, um, um, you know, he, he most of the time that he's the Kohen Gadol, he's going to already have been married to the person that he marries, uh, just to make things tricky. But the person that he marries is required to be, here it just talks about her age, um, or her maturity, I guess. But the point really seems to be, and your Dana, I know you'll talk about this more, is um is her virginity. Rabbi Shimon and this makes sense, right? Rabbi and Rabbi Shimon, you know, they say no. She can he can marry a bogeret, a grown woman can marry uh uh the kohen gadol again because the issue is not her age or her state of physical maturity. But then we've got this comment, Veloisa and Mukat Eitz. But he's not allowed to marry a woman whose hymen was torn or removed or broken, whatever language you prefer. Um, we'll call it accidentally. And Mukat Eitz is a woman who, nowadays we might talk about gymnastics or horseback riding, this kind of thing, um, where her hymen has been broken at some point around, you know, through an act of life, not through um, an act of sex. So... Again, it's a little disturbing, I think, anytime that we have these statuses that are restrictive in any way. Um, and I want to just, you know, detail a little bit of the Gemara here. And then I'm going to turn it over to you, Yardina. And you're going to, and we can all cringe a little bit more. <laughs> so the Gemara says, well, when the sages say that he cannot marry, right? Whether or not it's betrothal, that she's a widow from or full marriage, the Gemara says pshita, of course, meaning that's obvious. Mahu because we want to make sure you don't say lelev almana matamar, because we want to make sure that you don't learn almana, the case of a widow, from the story of Tamar, meaning Tamar, the the Tamar from Breshit, the one who's Yehuda's daughter-in-law. Well, Mary's first heir, and he dies, and then she marries Onan, then he dies, and she's supposed to wait for Shela, and there's a, this great concern of why would he, why would Yehuda give Shela to marry Tamar if, if being married to her has led to two of his sons being killed, 
and of or not being killed. I'm sorry, they died, right? And then, and then this is the story of Tamar dresses up at the crossroads and and um ends up being the mother of Yehuda's sons instead. Meaning the fact that it says Almana and we talk about Almana uh, that that Tamar was a widow from marriage, right? So too we might think that this is only about marriage, and therefore we have the whole Tanaitic statement to say, no, no, Almana from anything, anything meaning betrothal as well. The Emahachinami. And okay, so let's say that this Dumya de Gurusha. So then it sounds like we're talking about a divorce. And you know, we generally draw this distinction between particularly with regards to Hindus, a regular Kohen is not a Kohen Gadol. Magrusha, Ben, Minamisim, Ben, Minamisim. We talk about somebody's divorced, whether she's been divorced because she needed to get after Kidushin, after the process of a formal betrothal, or she needed a get after fully being married. Um, so too, in the case of the Kohen Gadol, the widow status kicks in even for one who is only betrothed and not fully married. Um, which again, speaks to this unique status of the Kohen Gadol that seems to be a little bit, um, you know, it's more restrictive, more special. You can look at it, you know, through rosy colored glasses or more critical glasses but the at the end is that his status is unique and it does seem to be that the concern of as i said virginity whatever that the concern seems to be that he needs to be the only man in his wife's life i I would put it that way that that whether you know if she's already been betrothed to somebody else where there's no presumption of sexual relations, but nonetheless, the Cohen Gadol figure will come second for her. There seems to be something, um, you know, disrespectful given his standing based on that. And therefore, she's not allowed, meaning a woman who has already been betrothed, even if she's a widow from that, is no no longer allowed to be with the Cohen Gadol, to marry. And I think another important point here is this is a Kohen Gadol who needs to get married while he's a Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol is not allowed to remain unmarried. So that's why there's also a lot of talk around this. But let's say you have a regular Kohen who married a widow and then becomes the Kohen Gadol. Uh, you know, you're not you don't have to divorce that woman. It's more a question right. of what happens if you're the Kohen Gadol. They insist the Kohen Gadol be married, right? That's the halakha. They're not allowed to be a Kohen Gadol while single. So, you know, how do you, but what's for that sort of status? And, I, you know, and I think, you know, it was the point of these are not laws for everybody. This isn't sort of a reflection on the state of marriage and halakha. This is a reflection of the state of the Kohen Gadol. I'll say something else. For Kohen Gadol to become single, meaning to become in need of a wife, it likely means that his wife has died. Meaning, I can't imagine that this man is eager to get married right that second either, by the way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. If you were single, you were appointed the Kohen Gadol. Exactly. I think it's more that you were widowed and then you needed to quickly get married. So that's also an interesting and then, and then, And then lastly, I would say who knows if this ever even happened, right? Meaning maybe it did. It's certainly plausible that over the time of being a Kohen Gadol, you know, especially as you age, it's certainly not unreasonable to think that a 
your wife might die. But it's also, I think, like the Gemara is preparing for all eventualities, whether or not it's a practical mission, I would say. So I think that brings us to sort of another issue. And I'm just going to read the piece of the Gemara soon about the Machlokas between Rabbi Meir um, and, uh, you know, and Rabbi Elazar and Rabbi, and Rabbi Shimon. But what we're seeing on a lot of these dapim are sort of like these fantastical cases. Like we're going to see this later on in this step with the question of a woman and bestiality, you know, and there's this weird story with Rabbi Huda and Nasi about this woman with, you know, an accident with a dog. You know, I think the question is, are these actual real cases or does the Gemara like to use sort of these fantastical stories to sort of, you know, it's it's the boundary pushing, like that there's something to learn from sort of these cases that we know could not possibly happen. I mean, think back to those stops we had. What was it? It was Nundalad, you know, where a man fell and accidentally inserted himself into a woman. I think these are, we're seeing like an extreme of boundary pushing on these dapim. And again, it's, I think because of the particular topic, this boundary pushing doesn't sit comfortably with a lot of people, but I'm not sure the Gemara actually believe these things could actually happen. Like it's more just trying to test the limits or saying, can I learn a halacha or, uh, or really elucidate that halacha by these boundary pushing types of cases. I think that's fair. All right. I'm going to move on here to uh, the Gemara, really just to go through exactly what is this machlokas actually about. So below Yisa et Tabogaret, right? She, he can't marry sort of, again, literally like a grown woman, an adult woman. Tanu Rabbanan, So this is a pasuk from Vayikra, chapter 21, verse 13. And he shall take a wife in her virginity is literally what it means. So this excludes a grown woman, right? Who, what it means is that her hymen is worn away. In other words, as a woman ages, the belief here is, is that her hymen uh, sort of thins out or uh, is not as complete as that of a, of a minor, you know, of a younger woman. This is according to Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, right? They say, uh, uh, like a virgin is a virgin and basically a grown woman can still marry the high priest. I think most of us listening to this or reading, learning this are going to be in the Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Shimon camp. But my kamaflipe. Uh, so uh, again, what exactly are they, you know, arguing about? Rabbi Meir sabar bitula afilumiksat bitulim mashma. So Rabbi Meir holds that when it says bitula, right, it's referring to uh, even a, a, it's it's referring simply to a virgin, right, and that would mean even like. That even if she has partial virginity, right? But because the Pasuk says, what it's teaching us is, is that it actually needs to be somebody whose full virginity is intact. So this in her virginity basically also would mean that if she had, you know, sort of typical uh, sexual injury, is in the part of what defines her virginity, right? So they were talking here about vaginal intercourse, then yes, that is what would disqualify her from marrying the Cohen. But if she had atypical intercourse, so here we would be talking about anal sex, right? Then she wouldn't be disqualified. So it's a very strange opinion because on the one hand, Rabbi Mayer is taking sort of like an extreme view 
But then when it comes to the actual sexual act itself, it seems to me, and again, that's the story we have with Rabbi, with Rabbi Huda Nasi and that woman with the dog, right? That there also seems to be like a tremendous sort of kula in there as well. For Rabbi Elizabeth, Rabbi Shimon Sabri, Bitula, Bitula Shlema Mashma, right? That a virgin, right? It could mean a complete virgin. Bitula about Philomixat Bitulim. In her virginity means even a partial virgin, meaning even if some of that hymen is, you know, thinned out or, or is partially there. So it's really literally what I think is interesting is they are taking, and we don't see this very often with Midrash Halacha, but it's literally they're taking the same word and they're just giving the opposite interpretation of how they want to look at it, right? So what this bitulaha means, in her virginity means, right? She's not allowed to marry a coin gadol unless all of her virginity is intact, meaning if she engaged in any type of intercourse itself, whether it's typical or atypical. So I, I, I found this machlokas to be interesting on two fronts. When you initially read the opinion of Rabbi Meir and versus Rabbi Elazar and, and Rabbi Shimon, you know, I think most of us are like, okay, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, seems much more appropriate and much better. But yet they end up with this sort of extreme interpretation, Rabbi Elezer and Rabbi Shimon, you know, not distinguishing between any type of sexual act. So, you know, that's the first thing I want to say that like, in other words, it's the one who seems Mikel has a real Mahmer piece to it. And the one who seems Mahmer, that opinion of Rabbi Meir ends up having sort of a real interesting Kula to it. And the second piece is, which I, I made before, but I just want to emphasize is you know, how are they getting to their difference of interpretation? Typically, when we see these type of machlokas between, you know, in the Midrash Halakha sort of sense, it's usually they pick up on two different words in a pasuk. One emphasizes one more than here. We have something fascinating, which is they're literally just taking the same word and they're just each one is just interpreting it completely and totally, you know, in, in opposite ways. And so I think that's a very interesting sort of source to a Midrash Halakha. It's not one that we typically see. Um, I think that what you said before, that, you know, we've got here the exploration to the parameter, the extent of the parameters. Let's see where those boundaries are. Uh, kind of lines up to me with this idea that this is, it is an, an unusual for Midrash Halakha, but also, you know, the question is, how far does this go? We're going to use our powers of interpretation to get there to see, you know, literally quite literally you know what to what extent are we limiting the coin guttles standing here or possibilities whatever it needs that extra elbow grease i think yeah and you really need this passage of the gemara because if you read that mishnah straightforwardly the full implication of those two different opinions is not apparent at all and it's not until the gemara goes into the midrash halacha that you really understand the differences there well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.